Lee, host of the Building Abundance Success Series, our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on communication, and my guest is none other than Doris McMillan, national news anchor. She's an actress, producer, author, you name it. She's also a CEO of McMillan Communications. She's one of the first African-American anchors on TV. She started with the flagship station out of New York, WABC Television, and she has also done uh, the national 24-hour news on NBC Radio. She has been on the Emmy Award-winning West Wing. She's also been in movies with Clint Eastwood, Chris Rock, and Wesley Snipes. This is an awesome interview. Enjoy! For those of us not there in the beginnings of not only female anchors and or male anchors of people of color, what was it like, those of us who grew up in the late 80s, 90s, thousands, we read about those times, but what was it like to enter the field during the, say, 60s, 70s? Well, I remember when I got my first job in radio, I went in for an interview uh, to this station, and I actually felt like they had no intentions of hiring me. And keep in mind, I had a humongous afro at that time. And because the station was a very white conservative station, I knew that I better go buy a wig. So I went and I bought a wig, and I stuffed all of that afro underneath that wig and put on my little dress and went in for my interview. Well, three days later, uh, they called me back after they had told me that I should probably go someplace else. And they said, okay, we'll train you. So I stuffed the afro back under the wig, went in, because, see, I looked militant. (laughs) 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 And even, I mean, I knew even then that wasn't going to fly. And I wanted to get this job. So when I went back, uh, I put the wig back on, and sure enough, they hired me. Well, after about a week of wearing the wig... I said, I've got to come out of this thing. And I picked out my fro, walked into the office that morning, and the news director looked at me, and he was uh, very white, very bald, and turned very red. And he said, he looked up at me from his desk, and he said, what happened to the woman we hired a few days ago? And so another colleague of mine, uh, he was white as well, was sitting at his typewriter. He never missed a stroke on the keyboard. He said, well, she got the job now. What difference does it make? So I was the first African-American woman that WJR Radio had ever hired. And I believe that they never had any intention at that time of actually letting me go on the air um, as an anchor or a reporter, but they were trying to fulfill a quota. Now, that was back in the 70s. But I really didn't care. I was in the door, and then I started meeting other young women like myself who were working at radio stations and TV stations in Detroit, Michigan. So this was a time when they were saying, we have to fulfill our quotas, we need to get some people of color in here, and uh, this is the way to do it. And so that's how I got my start. And then a year later, well, 18 months later, I ended up in New York because once again, uh, NBC decided we need some people of color. Well, they had two. They had me and they had another guy. And that's how it, how it was. In fact, today, here we are in, um, in the 2000s, and I always tell my daughter that people from New York remember me from New York television 
And that always surprises me. And she said, well, Mom, you were one of the first uh, African-American women on the television there in New York City. Now, there are some other names I could call. In fact, one is still there, Sue Simmons, who mm-hmm. started in Washington, D.C., and then went to New York. She's still on the air on Channel 4. Wow. There was uh, Melba Moore, who started at WABC, which was Channel 7. Uh, she happened. She was a secretary and ended up being on the air because there was a strike and there was nobody to do the news. So that's how she got her start. So if you look around at the business, uh, we became the commodity to have. And when they were pairing up anchors, it had to be either a white male, uh, black female, or it was a black male, white female. Not so much that at the time, but primarily it was African-American women. And so we were making our mark then by getting these jobs. When I left Channel 7, no, let's see, Channel 7, I was at Channel 5 and then Channel 7, and then I came to Channel 7 in Washington, D.C., um, there were a few more women uh, that looked like me, so that was very encouraging. In fact, while I was working in New York, I remember a story uh, that we broadcast about two African-American women anchoring on the same news program in Washington, D.C. And we were deep. Like, that was well, We thought that was deep, too. We were like, wow. So, you know, naturally I wanted to see that story. So I turn on the, the, the TV and I'm looking at the story and I'm looking for these two African-American women and I see Pat Lawson Muse, who there was no question in my mind, she was African-American, but then they had Barbara Harrison, who, while she is African-American, does not look like it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I said to myself, well, they've got levels. <laughs> you know, we can have one woman that's darker, but we can't have both of them being dark. <laughs> and I would venture to say that management actually thought that. Hmm. So I'm saying, oh, well, that's not really right. <laughs> but wow. it was a start. Oh, my heavens. So you're, you're saying that they had those individuals, but they may have done the color cast thing? Well, yeah, I think what they did is they wanted to be able to say, we have two African-American women, but, you know, when you looked at them, one didn't look black at all. So um, we, um, we just said, well, if that's the way they want to do it, that's just the way they want to do it. But uh, wow, I that's thought, interesting. well, that's subtle. <laughs> but that, that is a, another theme from my own um, research that when they first started in uh, this quota system, as you put it, not only in news but in media in general, uh, they had that sort of caste system. And it's really sort of sad that even today we're still under that system. What do you have to say about that? Well, you know, in some cases I don't think things have changed a lot. Um, They're still doing the white female uh, anchor or the black male anchor. Uh, I think they're very strategic about how they are doing this. Um, But they will tell, you know, they'll tell you, well, they probably won't tell you. But the thing that used to bother me was the lighting aspect in the studio. Mm -hmm. And that was um, if you had a seat that was lit for an African-American anchor person and then you Mm -hmm. had the seat lit for a white anchor person, 
if the white anchor person wasn't there, they would move the African-American over to that seat and then bring in another person. Well, lighting makes a big difference in our business. And while it may be subtle, people are looking at the shift. And if you're sitting in somebody's seat that you're not, and you're sitting in their lighting and it's not your lighting, you don't look as good. Mm-hmm. And this is a very superficial business in that respect. But yet they spend thousands and thousands of dollars on lighting your seat just right. So, I, you know, I think about all these things as I think of what we've had to deal with as, um, you know, men and women of color in this business. And that's just a real subtle thing. But when people tell you, oh, you know, you look darker on TV than you do in person, and I'm thinking, isn't that, it's very subtle, but those are things that make a difference in how we're perceived. It's all about the lighting. Yeah, lighting, and I will tell anybody in television or, or getting their picture taken, lighting is key. And But these are things that, did we know that? No. We weren't taught all of that, mm. but it, it's just you know it's just part of the what goes with the business. But we well, get educated as we go along. Yeah, we are, I guess may have been learning as we go along. Just as I've learned, certain colors look better on certain people mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. you have the right lighting. I remember being in drama, and I was always told. Uh, well, actually, the drama uh, director was saying, "Don't ever put her in red." And okay. I said, "Okay." Okay, it might have to do with the hue of whatever. So when I looked at the playback of the rehearsal, I was like, now I understand. <laughs> it would tear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and just mean, like I tell women and men of color, stop wearing black and white on the air. What are you doing? <laughs> they say it makes you look slimmer or... No, it know. doesn't. You know, in fact, when you think about the technology, even though we've got high def and all that stuff... Um, when a person of color sits in front of the camera and the light shines on them, if they have on a white top or a white shirt, the iris of the camera is fighting. Well, and it's saying, this is the conversation the iris is having, well, shall I focus on the dark face or shall I focus on the white blouse? Which one shall I focus on? In which case, it, uh, you start to bloom if you have on white and you don't look as good. So, you know, I, I, when I do media training, which is part of what I offer in my uh, services for my company, I tell my clients, you don't want to wear black and you don't, wear to, you don't want to wear white. Those colors are not complementary to you in, um, in a television situation, especially if they, you are not lit for that. Wow. So these are, these are things that I've learned throughout the years about being in this business, about what makes you look good and what doesn't. But it also has a lot to do with your longevity, too. <laughs> do you think that the lighting, and I, I, we all look at YouTube, we all see old clips of old, uh, you know, television and interviews and this and that. Do you think that that's why the quality has gotten better over the years? Because you can look at uh, a brand name like an Oprah from the past mm-hmm. and look at today. Completely different contrast. Oh, Absolutely. Well, I think technology has changed a lot, and um, you know things have things hopefully have gotten better. But I, just recently, uh, I was watching the History Channel, and what pops up but a clip from a report that I did when I was working for Channel Five in New York. Wow! And I looked at myself. We were shooting film back then, and I thought, "Ooh, that doesn't look so good." But I thought I was looking good then. <laughs> 
But I realized, I said, mm-hmm. you know, again, back to the lighting. But I thought, hmm, that doesn't look as good as it, it would look today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but it probably looked great for then. For then, right. But, you know, we're much more critical now. <laughs> oh, yeah, m- most definitely. And uh, I've seen some of those fashions of the 60s and 70s and, of course, 80s. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, we thought we were looking real good back then. What can I say? <laughs> well, some of it's kind of cool, you know. I mean, uh, you know, we, we we try to copy off that stuff today. It didn't look quite as hot. But, hey, I right. was also wondering the um, field. You, you said that when you started out you were looking militant. What was um, media like for the black community at that time in you breaking into the mainstream? Well, quite honestly, uh, black people were glad to see people that looked like them on the air. Mm-hmm. This was this was a breakthrough. I mean, we became celebrities uh, because of that. It was like finally uh, the community had somebody who represented them, and that gave them a reason to tune in. And then the news media executives started to say, "Well, this is uh, okay. This is working. Uh, so we want to get the best black person that we can get because we realize that um, ratings are going to go up." And it, it was a ratings game. But every station that had their one black uh, anchor woman or reporter or anchor man or uh, whatever, um, you know, the African-American community could identify mm-hmm. with them, and that was a great thing. Then I remember working at Channel 5 in New York when one day someone woke up and said, ah, we need a Latina. And so I remember losing my job to a woman who was a Latina. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, we have enough black folks, so now we need to hire some some Hispanics. And so it's always the color and the numbers game. Um, I was wondering also, when you began, uh, there was also a shift where media is concerned, print, television, etc. How did your career change over that time with those booming opportunities with black television and other things becoming you know, really prominent in, say, the 80s, 90s? Well, let's see. My career started to change in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, more doors were opening for people of color uh, to hold positions uh, that were important. And I always tell young people today, I said, please, don't think about just being in front of the camera or writing the article. I said, you want to be the person who owns the station, owns the newspaper, owns the radio station or the TV station. You want to be the person who's making the decisions, the editorial decisions about what's going to appear on your airwaves. Uh, everybody says, oh, yeah, but, you know, you know, being an anchor is wonderful. Yeah, but you have to ask yourself, how much clout do you really have? Right. You know, you may make the money, but are you making the decisions? For instance, I was working uh, at one station in New York, and I got sent to Harlem. And I used to get upset. I said, why do I always have to go to Harlem? And then I realized it was a good thing that I had right. to cover the African-American community because if they sent somebody else up there, they didn't understand the community. They didn't understand the politics. You know, they didn't understand the mindset. And their reporting on a story would be totally different, I think. But I, you know, I went in with a greater understanding and... And I think most uh, people of color in the business will tell you, 
we know how to, uh, and this is a linguistic term, code switch. We, you know, we know how to be what we need to be in the African-American community. We know how to be uh, in a white community. You know, wherever it is, we know how to go with the flow. As for your background, though, you come from a little bit of both of those communities, if not genetically. I don't know if you want to talk about that. How is that growing up? Well, keep in mind that I was adopted by an African-American family. Mm -hmm. I lived in uh, inner cities. Uh, I was a military brat. So uh, I've always identified with being Mm -hmm. African-American. I knew that I was, my mother was German, my biological mother was German, and my father was black. But when you look at me, you don't see somebody who could pass for something else. I am a black woman, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. So um, that's never been an issue for me. In fact, uh, when we came back from overseas, my mother was really funny. We were in Detroit, and we were driving down the street, and I kept saying, Ooh, there goes another one. There goes another one. And my mother's like, Will you shut up? What was I talking about? More black people. I hadn't seen that many black people in one place in my life. <laughs> I was like, oh, another one, another one. It was amazing. But then, uh, you know, when we stayed, uh, once we moved back to the States, we tended to live in areas where it was, you know, a lot of people that looked like me. So it wasn't an issue anymore. Wow. Um, but I think it has been, I would say that just living uh, as a military brat, Mm-hmm. made all the difference in how I perceive a lot of things. I'm probably more flexible um, than a number of my friends, that, at least that's what they tell me. You know, I know how to turn on the dime if I have to, mm-hmm. go with the flow because mm-hmm. that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get along with anybody. And my husband and I were just laughing about this yesterday. He said, we can go into a room he said, "My back." He says, "His back is up against the wall. People will come to him to talk to him." He said, "But before the the party is over, I know everybody and all their business before <laughs> we leave the party." <laughs> so I just love people. I get my energy from people. People are fun, and I like to meet new people and learn new things. 